Guru Nation, welcome to episode 396 of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. In this episode, I interview Dr. Anise Chagpar from Yale University. She's director of surgery there. She's a professor. Uh, she also has a very popular course on Coursera that's free called Introduction to Clinical Research, which is how I got to know her. And uh, then I reached out to her on LinkedIn and we discussed uh, all the things she's doing. She's going to have, she already has her own YouTube channel. She's very accessible on LinkedIn, social media. So all her links are in the show notes. In this episode, we talk about her career uh, and also about clinical research specifically as it pertains to oncology and even more specifically breast cancer. So I think there's something here for everybody. And also if when you're in the show notes, check out the CRA Academy, the CRC Academy, the links to the Patreon page, which is five bucks a month. And it's a weekly video on how to improve your career or your business using social media. Uh, also has a monthly mastermind group. Every month we meet, we hold each other accountable. It's not for everyone, but it's definitely for the 1% of my listeners out there. Uh, text me that you're listening, 949-415-6256. Ask me any questions and enjoy the episode with, with Dr. Anise Chagpar. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I've got Dr. Anise Chagpar, professor from Department of Surgery at Yale University School of Medicine. The way I know Dr. Chagpar is the way probably many others, apparently every day somebody's reaching out to you in regards to your Coursera course, Introduction to Breast Cancer. I took it during this recent quarantine that we were starting to get out of. And it was such a good course. I immediately was drawn to Dr. Chagpar. She's very accessible. I found her Twitter, uh, her LinkedIn. We started talking. Now she has a YouTube channel. So we're going to link to all those things in the show notes, to her Twitter, to her LinkedIn, to her YouTube. Uh, but it's such a good course. You're changing so many lives. And I just want to thank you, first of all, for coming on, but also for for doing this course. How did that course actually come about? Well, thanks so much for having me, Dan. It's, it's a real pleasure. I, I have to say, you know, it's one of the most gratifying things um, to have students reach out to me practically every day. Somebody from some corner of the world uh, will either email me, send me a LinkedIn or a tweet about how they took the course and it changed their life. Um, and I, when the course started, never in a million years would have thought, that it had that impact. It really started um, simply with an award announcement that was at Yale. Uh, the president at the time, uh, Rick Levin, had put out what's called a Goldsmith Award. And it was an award that would help you to design an online course. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting enough. Uh, why don't I do that? Just because I thought it would be something cool to do. And so I... I ended up winning that award and working with just the most phenomenal team at um, the Yale Teaching and Learning Center and the broadcast studio. Um, and kudos to them. They, they made the set and, and everything. It was just so much fun. 
And um, and then we just started the course. And um, and then we ended up um, getting just pretty much through osmosis, the most wonderful TA uh, who, who moderates the discussion boards for us, uh, who we met virtually, like all of these connections are just happening out of the woodwork and it just shows you how small the world really is. Um, and now we have over 28,000 uh, learners um, growing every day. And all kinds of people. So, you know, when we started the course, some people said to me, you know, Denise, um, is this course really for physicians? Is it for researchers? Is it for the general public? Is it for people in industry? Is like, who, who exactly are you trying to teach? And I said, um, everybody. <laughs> because... It's because true. I, I really, I, I didn't think that I needed to make it really specific. And I kind of thought, you know, we can we can all start at the basis and just kind of move from there. And that's been one of the most fabulous things because now, you know, I'll get emails from people who are medical students in Nigeria who are interested in breast cancer or researchers uh, who are in Israel and trying to design technology or people who are working for a company um, in breast cancer, so like Hologic or, or another company where, you know, they really needed to get some grounding in breast cancer and this kind of gave them that. Or people who are starting clinical trials or or people who just want to learn something about breast cancer because somebody in their family or a friend uh, was diagnosed. And so it is so awesome to find how this course is impacting people's lives. And for the people who are in the academic programs, you know, it's really gratifying because some programs have actually built the course into their didactics. So, you know, PA programs, uh, breast fellowship programs have all kind of started to incorporate the course. Um, so it's just, it's incredible. What a, a wild ride. <laughs> I, I never would have expected it. Well, I, I did one video after I took the course where I recommended it, and I know a bunch of people kept asking me for the link. To this day, they're still, I, I did that like two months ago. And I'm still getting emails every day. Hey, what's the link? Where's the Coursera? What is Coursera? So I know after this interview, we're going to get more people on it. But the course truly lives up to its name, Introduction to Breast Cancer. And like you said, for general public, for, for researchers, I took it because I got all these monitoring oncology uh, breast cancer studies. And so I thought, hey, I need to like learn a little bit more about this. Um, and so you and it's not necessarily easy. I mean, there are some sections, Dr. Chagpar, where I had to wait 24 hours to take the quiz again because I, I messed up three <laughs> times. So it's not easy. And I've been doing breast cancer for two years as a CRA. But, you know, this interview is going to be interesting because a lot of clinical researchers, a lot of the audience that I have either work at research sites or work for sponsors or CROs as monitors. And also a lot of people uh, want to get into cancer research because they see it as a very interesting field, very lucrative. Uh, and it is all of that, let me tell you. But oncology is like a different language. I always tell people in research, 
I don't care what you've done before. If you're trying to get into oncology, you've got a learning curve. You've got a steep learning curve coming up. And so what, what do you think about that? Because I know you're involved in clinical research, but what do you think about, like, first of all, why is oncology so difficult for people to kind of understand the basics? Well, you know, I think it's the same with anything. And I don't think that oncology is necessarily different from anything else. It's kind of like if you asked me, to learn about car maintenance or automotive science. I, I mean, it's a whole new language, right? And so just like there are things that we don't know, for everything there's a learning curve. But I think the good news is, is that you really can kind of get your teeth sunk into the basic concepts. And once you kind of understand some of the basics, you can build on that. One of the things that makes cancer a little bit more tricky is that and, and we talk about this uh, a lot, right, is this whole concept of personalized medicine. So different tumors are different, different sites are different. So a cancer isn't a cancer isn't a cancer, right? And, and the mutations that you have in one cancer may not affect another cancer. There are different therapeutic modalities that work in different cancers. And so, you know, as with anything, you kind of need to know a little bit about the cancer that you're particularly interested in and, and interested in studying. Um, but I do think that it's incredibly prevalent and, and very interesting. And as you say, one of the things that I really love about cancer is that it is moving so fast, that the clinical trials are moving so fast because that's what makes it great, right? If we were doing the same thing that we did 20 years ago, then we're stagnating. And that, I think that's why I have a real passion for clinical trials and clinical research, um, especially in breast cancer. The field is moving so fast, which is great. Is it harder to keep up? Yes. <laughs> but you're also doing something new, right? Which means that how we practice today in 2020 is entirely different than how we practiced in 2015 which is entirely different than 2000, which is entirely different from before then. And I don't think that a lot of fields can say that. I don't either. And I think we need that research. I mean, with the amount of people getting diagnosed with cancers every year, especially breast cancer, we need all the help we can get when it comes to new treatments, uh, breakthroughs, medical advancements, and things like that. And we actually need more people proficient in clinical research and oncology to work in the industry, right? So uh, it's always more than 50% of the active clinical trials in the world are oncology of some sort. I mean, every year that's the case. And we don't have enough CRAs. We don't have enough coordinators to handle all these studies. So we actually need, you know, people like you who are educating people on oncology are doing a great service, I think, to uh, the overall well-being of society because we need more people in oncology. And this is often so intimidating for people that they just decide, well, I'm going to do something else, not oncology, even though I'm really interested in that. Uh, it just, it seems like learning a whole new language. So I think we need more of this, uh, you know, to demystify oncology and you're doing a great job with that and you're growing every day and now you're having a YouTube channel where you're going to do more of that on there as well as having general health and wellness on there so hats off to you Dr. Chagpar um, how did you get started in this space? 
how did I get started in breast cancer or how yeah. did I well you know I tell you um, so growing up um, nobody in my family was a doctor nobody in my family was a researcher nobody in my family had cancer um, so it was kind of strange right um, but I really fell in love with um, anatomy and science and you know I was the kid in grade four who was absolutely mesmerized when we were dissecting frogs you know that kind of thing like how the human body works um, was fascinating to me um, and so I kind of decided early on that I thought you know I I might really want to be a surgeon. Why? Because I love working with my hands. I love fixing problems, right? See a problem, fix a problem, move on to the next problem. I hate it when we languish in the same space forever without fixing things, right? Uh, I think that's why I love clinical research so much, is, is you get to propel the field forward. I love Working in teams and oncology is a big team sport, whether you think about it on the clinical side or on the research side. Um, and you get to make a meaningful difference in people's lives. So I, um, so I always kind of thought that that might be something I enjoyed and um, was really interested in research right throughout my career. So started in high school doing research, did research right through um, undergrad and into medical school. And in medical school, I, you know, I got exposed to surgery and boy, I got to tell you, I got bitten by the bug. Um, it is, it was, it was so gratifying to me and um, just an incredible field. And I had some of the most wonderful mentors on the face of the planet. And so, um, so dove into surgery. And then once in surgery, you know, you start looking around and thinking, you know, I know that I really want to be an academic because in addition to taking care of patients, which I love doing, um, I'm really, really fascinated with and passionate about research and education like these two aspects of my career I think are really going to make more of a difference to the world than taking care of an individual patient you get a lot of gratification taking care of an individual but I think that the work that we do the work that you do and and people doing research like that is going to impact not just one person but thousands and potentially millions of people for generations right it's the same thing like education you can make a real dent so I knew that I really wanted to be an academic and I knew that I loved breast cancer because because of everything um, not only was it really prevalent um, but it's one of the cancers that you can actually do something about. Like the outcomes are really good for people with breast cancer. And as I mentioned before, the field is moving very fast. It is truly a multidisciplinary sport, perhaps more than other fields. Um, it's clean surgery. It's cosmetic in the sense that the outcomes are beautiful um, without being vain. Um, you know, it, everything about it, uh, I just I just loved it. And so it was a bit of serendipity that right at the same time as I was finishing up my residency, 
MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, was uh, opening up their first breast fellowship. And so I applied, not thinking I would get it, because, you know, here I was. I, I actually was uh, Canadian, still am Canadian, but I, I did my residency in a place called Saskatchewan. And, you know, I know you've got like thousands and thousands of viewers on this channel, so somebody out there knows where Saskatchewan is, but. Perhaps not everybody knows where Saskatchewan <laughs> was, but so so I thought, you know, how would the number one cancer center in North America think about taking little old me from Saskatchewan? Um, but they did, and I think in part um, that was because you know they knew about my research because I had been doing research in breast cancer throughout um, medical school uh, and residency. And in fact, my research uh, in breast cancer in residency won the Distinguished Thesis Award um, and really got high acclaim uh, in North America. So long story short, I end up at MD Anderson as their inaugural breast fellow, which was an incredible, incredible experience. And so there I kind of shifted more from translational research into clinical research. And, um, and and published a lot, did a lot of work on all kinds of things, um, you know, looking at chest wall recurrences and what we can do about that and nipple aspirate fluid and, and all kinds of really cool studies. Well, after that, um, you know, I was recruited around the country and, and I ended up going to the University of Louisville. Now... Anybody who knows anything about the University of Louisville knows that it has just a stellar department of surgery, really, really strong in terms of clinical research. And, um, and they had offered, in order to get me there, because they were, of course, competing with Johns Hopkins and uh, other places around the country, uh, said, you know what, Anise, we'll, we know that you're really interested in clinical research will offer to send you to Harvard um, to get your MPH. Um, because uh, Hopkins had actually said, why don't you come here, we'll get you an MPH, and that will spur on your clinical research. So, uh, so Louisville offered the same, except I would go to Harvard. So I did that, and, and that was fabulous, because during that MPH, you learn a lot about epi, you learn stats, you learn some clinical trial design, but you also learn a bunch of other things. So I took courses in decision analysis and prediction modeling. And what was really cool was University of Louisville, for, for all of the people out there who are listening who have done um, work in cancer clinical trials uh, or have read about cancer clinical trials, I know that many of you out there might have heard about the Sunbelt Melanoma Trial right? Or the, the University of Louisville Sentinel Node Trial. These were big trials and they were housed at the University of Louisville. Um, so Louisville had really great uh, clinical trials and clinical research infrastructure. And what I was able to do was not only really look at the data in those clinical trials and help to accrue to other clinical trials, 
but to start to mine that data with a view to other questions. Because remember, when you're doing a clinical trial for all of the people out there who are, you know, they're, they're monitors and they're, they're CRAs and they're filling out their CRFs and they're thinking, my God, okay, it's a trial, like it's going to be over. The thing is that you're really collecting data that not only has implications for that trial, but has potential implications going forward to help us to discover new things. So I was able to take some of these things that I learned from Harvard on prediction modeling, for example, and apply it to the Sentinel node study that had been done at the University of Louisville. I got an NIH grant to look at that and started building prediction modeling and all kinds of papers came out that really helped to inform our practice in terms of how exactly should we be doing sentinel node biopsies. So, so that's kind of how I got started as a, a breast surgeon and uh, really got dunked deep into clinical research. And then about a decade ago, um, got recruited to Yale. So um, I... At, at Louisville, I'll tell you the other thing that I did at Louisville, because, you know, I have to have more than one hat on at any given time. Yep. So I um, I also was an academic advisory dean because, I, 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 again, I'm passionate about research. But I also had an administrative bent. So I wanted to improve the care of people with breast cancer, all people, um, so that it wasn't like, you know, people who had insurance get this quality of care and people who don't get this quality of care. I, I wanted to eliminate the disparities. And so um, we was really fortunate that the administration there was um, really so supportive. So I built um, what became the first nationally accredited breast center in the entire state of Kentucky. And it was a very big deal. Um, so anyways, about a decade ago, uh, Yale uh, had just recruited a new cancer center director, Tom Lynch, um, and had built this incredible cancer hospital. And they were trying to find people to run various programs in all of the different disease specialties. And so they started recruiting me. So um, I'll skip all the details, but I ended up coming to Louisville, building their breast program um, getting it nationally and internationally accredited, building their fellowship. But probably the most exciting thing that I did was really in terms of clinical trials. So I'll tell you this story just because I think um, you'll get a kick out of it and because I think it transformed my life. So when Tom was recruiting me to Yale, Remember, I was the kind of clinical researcher who was a big data researcher, right? Like, give me a big database from a trial that you've done or from nationally accrued data, and I can ask a million really important, interesting questions that help inform practice. Um, and, I, and so I told Tom, uh, you know, Tom, we need big data, right? I want to build big databases. I want to buy a repository. I want to ask all of these important questions. And Tom refers to this as our first fight. I don't think it was a fight. I think it was a discussion, but you know. Um, so Tom said to me, you know, when he's, clinical trials are where it's at. You really need to be in clinical trials. And I said, 
yeah, okay, I'll do clinical trials too, but we need the database and we need the repository and so on and so forth. So not long after I, I got situated at Yale, um, I discovered that, you know, Tom really had a mission to increase clinical trial accrual at Yale. Um, as all of you know who are, are listening, clinical trial accrual is a really important metric for cancer centers. It's what makes a comprehensive cancer center a comprehensive cancer center. And they need to show that they can accrue to clinical trials um, in order to get that grant status. It's just a, a metric that says you really are invested in improving care, right? And moving the field forward. The biggest issue in research, lack of patient enrollment. I mean, 90% right. of trials are behind on enrollment. Right. And, and the thing is, you know, we can shout from the mountaintops that patients who participate in clinical trials tend to do better than patients who don't. But Suffice it to say that less than 5 to 10% of all patients who are eligible for clinical trials really participate. Now, Tom knew that Yale was facing its P30 renewal. P30 is that grant that helps a comprehensive cancer center be a comprehensive cancer center and needed to show that we really were invested in clinical trial accrual. So, you know, he came to me as the director of the breast center why? Because breast is the most common malignancy, right? It, we're always the cornerstone of any uh, of any cancer center. And said, Anise, you got to do something. And I said to him, I said, Tom, you know, when I was at the University of Louisville, I accrued more people to clinical trials than anybody else. And I think part of that was, you know, it was really very streamlined and I'm really very simple. So anybody who's talked to me for more than five minutes knows that, you know, I, I'm not kind of pie in the sky, really intellectual person. I'm kind of a boots on the ground, uh, you know, make boots it simple. Boots on the ground, very pra pragmatic approach. How did you, was it one-on-one -on -one with like conversations one-on-one -on -one with each patient that you got them in or... Were you uh, training other oncologists on how they can have these discussions with their patients? So, so I'm going to tell you what I told Tom, um, which is this. You know, I think what you need to have first, even before you get to how you accrue, is the idea of the trial. So the problem that I saw at Yale was you have brilliant people here. And these brilliant people are looking at particular molecules that are their favorite molecule uh, that occur once in a blue moon. And they're trying to treat them with really toxic therapies that nobody would sign up for. And the trial itself has a really complicated design that nobody can figure out. And your CTO, your clinical trials office, is really bureaucratic. So in order to get a trial started, it takes a millennia. And I said to Tom, I said, that doesn't work, <laughs> right? What you need is a really simple idea, right, that is broadly applicable, that asks a really important question that is non-toxic, that everybody would sign up for, and you need a streamlined process where patients can get in. I said, you know, when I was at Louisville, I had one person. Uh, one research associate and together we just we would do really important trials that were really simple and got people in and so Tom was like yeah 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 whatever just do it so what happened uh, was 
you know, July 4th long weekend, as I was watching the fireworks from my apartment, I wrote this really simple trial. And this really simple trial went like this. You know, so many patients, right, about 60 to 80% of all patients who have breast cancer, they have what's called a lumpectomy or a partial mastectomy. We just, we take out just the cancer, right, instead of removing the whole breast. And we can do that thanks to clinical trials that were done in the 1960s and early 70s. But the problem is that, you know, sometimes because you can't see cancer cells with your naked eye, those cancer cells can be at the edge And if they're at the edge, then we need to go back. And nobody likes to do a second operation and nobody likes to undergo a second operation. And so in the surgical community, there had been these fights, right? I don't want to say fight, but controversies, right? Some people said, you know, you should just take a little bit more all the way around the first operation and, you know, that will cut the proportion of times that you needed to go back. Other people said, why would I take a little bit more all the way around? Because I can x-ray what I take out and see where I'm close and just take more there. Um, Why would you take more where it doesn't look like you're close? Because if you take more out, you could have cosmetic deformities and so on. And so, you know, we would argue at these meetings all the time, but nobody had really studied it. So I thought, why don't we do a clinical trial, right? We'll take patients who are undergoing a lumpectomy and we'll tell the surgeons, do your very best operation. And once they're done their very best operation, whether they're, you know, they x-ray it, they're going to take a little bit more here, whatever, they're normally going to close. We would say, okay, you've done your very best operation. Uh, You're going to close. Now, we're going to open an envelope, and patients are going to be randomized to either take more all the way around or not. And that way, you'd really be able to tell what the difference is. And you'd be able to see, you know, what is the cosmetic impact of taking more? Does it add more time to the operating room? Does it actually reduce the positive margin rate? Will that have an impact on reducing the amount of times people need to go back? And ultimately, what's going to happen in terms of local regional recurrence and getting cancer back? So really simple study, right? Um, Because all of the surgeons here at Yale, we were selective shavers. That is to say, you know, none of us took tissue all the way around. We would x-ray it. We'd take a little bit where we thought we were close. And so, so it's a very simple study. For patients, they were like, you know what? I'm going to be asleep. Do whatever you think is best, right? You don't know what's best. I'll do this trial. It's not going to affect me. It was the fastest accruing trial at Yale. The fastest. And it wasn't like, you know, anybody was doing anything special. It was it was really the trial design was really simple. So it starts with and the design. Think, See, that's the yeah. thing, because I think the problem with industry sponsored trials, which is primarily what I do, uh, is they're trying to almost cherry pick the IE criteria, the inclusion exclusion criteria, to get these patients that would do well in the study, but they're not indicative of the general population. You know, so right. I do agree it starts at the design level, but the accrual problem, if the if the pharma company already designed the study a certain way, there's nothing much we can do there other than just try to screen at volume, like at mass, and see who qualifies. 
Yeah, and I, I will say that the other thing that I found, at least for breast cancer patients, is that the vast majority of people, they want to help. They, you know, they will participate in trials either because they think it's going to help them, right? Like, so you have, you know, the latest drug that might actually benefit them um, that they otherwise wouldn't be eligible for. They might sign up for a trial for that. But a lot of patients do it because of altruism. They want to help us to move the field forward. And so, you know, I think that so long as the trial is well-designed, uh, especially if they can keep it simple, they can keep the toxicity down. I'm a big believer in keeping, you know, not being too stringent on your inclusion exclusion criteria because ultimately you want to show generalizability, right? Um, so, so like the SHAVE trial, what ended up happening is that it ended up accruing like gangbusters. And at the end of the day, we found out that taking cavity shave margins taking more all the way around, cut the reexcision rate in half, like 50%. Wow. And it changed practice. And it got published in the New England Journal. And then we had a follow-on study at 10 other centers. Um, so so I, I do think so. I think, you know, if, if I could give one piece of advice to industry, it's really think about, you know, how you design your trials. Um and make it something that is um, easy for patients to to get into because they want to help. We all want to move the field forward, but it, it shouldn't be so difficult for, you know, research associates to try to get people on trial. Yeah, it's so frustrating as a I own a few clinics here in Southern California, not oncology, but just this is a problem in, in, in clinical research period, not just oncology, but, you know, these IE criteria that just don't meet real world numbers. Like this is not the, you're, this is not your, your average patient. You're looking for an outlier and you want us to randomize just a bunch of outliers in the study. It's very difficult. No wonder accrual rates are, are behind. 90% of trials are, are, are slow on enrollment. Right. And I, and I think that that's a big reason why. And I think that, you know, if I was in industry, <clears throat> I, I think that I would really think about, right, like you're investing in designing a trial and you're doing this trial because you want your fill in the blank here, your drug, your device, your procedure, whatever, to ultimately take hold. So then you want your trial to be successful and you want it to be successful for the most number of people. Now, granted, right, like there are some times when an IE criteria is needed, right? So you're going to look at a particular drug that only acts on tumors that have a particular receptor. Well, then you kind of need to screen for that receptor. Right. But otherwise, like, so I would really think about that because otherwise you're wasting a lot of time, energy, and money on something that may not accrue. Do you do you have these conversations with the industry often or are you usually just talking with other academics? Well, so I'm happy to talk to anybody, right? So um, it, it really depends on the people who approach me. So sometimes, and I would say rarely, but when industry does kind of approach me as a consultant and say, can you help us in terms of evaluating this or we're thinking about this product in this situation, what do you think? I'm happy to help. 
help them with that. But I find that oftentimes you don't really get approached until they've already designed the trial. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah, then they need you. The they need you as and a then PI. You accrue <laughs> and you're like, um, yeah, I don't know how many patients I can accrue given the criteria that you've already gotten. So are you an investigator for a lot of uh, studies at Yale? Yeah. So the other interesting thing, my other hat, I told you I wear a lot of hats. Yeah, right? lots. Um, so I just, I, I just got appointed as um, the uh, liaison for uh, breast cancer and surgery at SWOG. So we'll be looking at trials uh, for that cooperative group. And I also, um, so, so SHAVE is coming up to its five-year mark. SHAVE 2, which was the follow-on study, um, is going to be coming up to its five-year mark. And I've always got a number of trials in the pipeline in my head um, that I like to design myself just because I like the practical trials that I think can move the field forward. And then I do, do collaborative stuff. So, for example, there's a trial on exercise uh, and weight loss in breast cancer uh, called the LEAN trial and the LEANER trial, which I do with the School of Public Health. Um, so lots and lots of trials um, going on. Breast cancer, the other reason it's it's such a great field is it's so collaborative, right? Um, and so, um, so there's lots of uh, uh, crosstalk going on. So we're definitely going to have to do a part two because we can go on forever, and I know you've got to go. I do want to do a part two around the theme of minority participation in clinical research because it's extremely important. Totally a good important. thing to do. That's yep. a perfect segue from what we're talking about. So we're going to have people wait for the part two. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, like, obviously everyone should go take the Introduction to Breast Cancer course. But if somebody wants to start working in clinical research, specifically breast cancer clinical research, Outside of taking the course on Coursera, which is a must, you need to go do this, what's the best way they can do this? Because I am always recommending, hey, go check out your community-based clinics. Maybe they're doing research, uh, but really your, your best bet might be the academic center. So what do you think? What, what would it be like your parting advice before we do our part two? You know, I think it really, it really depends on what people are after and how much time they have and where they're located. So if you want to get kind of an overview of breast cancer uh, and you have the time, take take the Coursera course. If you don't have the time um, and you just want to dive right in, um, well, think about the setting that you're going to dive right into, right? Clearly, if you're doing clinical trials, you're doing them somewhere. Right, you're doing them at a community center, a health clinic, or you're doing them at an academic center. And I think kind of hanging around in those centers, you're going to pick up some of that by osmosis. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, if if there really was a need for that kind of thing, like a intensive, I don't know, three hour course on. Uh, oncology clinical trials or breast clinical trials. It's something I, I could develop. I, I just don't know what the needs are. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to make that course. People, <laughs> people would definitely um, take it. So um, so thanks for the tip. I, I can certainly <laughs> I can certainly do that. Um, but um, yeah, so, so just let me know because I'm really passionate about 
research and education and cancer. Uh, and now, you know, my mom was diagnosed with cancer, so now it's it's even more personal. Um, but I, I would love to help um, people. And I think that, you know, the people in the field, the, the people who are the research associates um, and, and the, the monitors and, and everybody on the team who's working towards that, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have 20 years worth of medical school education and residency and stuff like that, but you should be able to get what you need to do your job because you are so vital to moving this field forward. So, um, so if there is an interest in that, let me know and I will, I'll build a course. I did it before. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much. So I will definitely put the links to the Coursera course because I think everyone needs to take it if you have any interest in breast cancer. Uh, the LinkedIn to Dr. Chagpar's LinkedIn and then her Twitter. I mean, she's very responsive. I remember on day one of the course when I was taking it, I went on Twitter to see if you would actually respond. And before I even finished the module, you replied back. So, you know, you're very accessible, very uh, engaging with the community out there, and you're touching a lot of lives. Uh, so thank you very much for that. And thank you for coming on. And I'm definitely looking forward to doing part two, three, and maybe even more after that. So thank you so much, Dr. Chagapar. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for watching and listening, and we'll catch you all later. Bye-bye. So, hey, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Make sure you leave a review if you could be so kind, please. Uh, and also go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com if you're interested in learning more about who I am, who some of my guests are. Uh, you can have access to some of my YouTube videos. Uh, I do a lot of videos about clinical research. So go to the clinicaltrialsguru.com and you can also call or text me anytime, 949-415-6256. Also follow me on any social media platform. It's Dan Svera. And you can also email me if you'd like, dan at theclinicaltrialsguru.com. Thank you very much.